Oh my God, James, as you, I, I, you know this, but I just got back from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Oh, is that why I haven't heard from you in like two weeks? <laughs> what was prison like? <laughs> well, it's like a little hiatus for us. I mean, I, I know we got some recording done over the phone, I guess, but uh-huh. anyways, I, we don't have time to talk about it today, but I have to talk about it in our next episode because that place is, I, my, I saw my, my eyes were open to some stuff. I had no idea. That is a scary exists. thought. That your <laughs> eyes were open. Your eyes. So we're going to have a guest on today. Indeed. Her name is Catherine Corso. I've actually known her for years. And the reason I wanted her on the Decades. show, and, and you know, with your permission, James. Oh, well, oh, right. Like I had any say in this. Come on. <laughs> well, she's been like this health insurance person for over 10 years. She's a specialist at what she does. And uh, I've been talking to her a lot lately and I thought she had some really crazy, like she has some really interesting, like anecdotal type stories I thought were pretty good. So I was hoping to have her on the show. I share those. No, I'm not going to allow that. Please. Okay, fine. <laughs> like I, yeah. But before we start, um, can I have some coffee? She's in the green room. So it's not like I have any choice in this. Uh, yeah, I'll get you some coffee. What do you want? Well, I want black coffee with just a little sugar this oh, time. A little sugar. Just this time. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, uh, how many tablespoons will it be today? Only two. Tablespoons? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's healthy. Let's just have a Coke. Oh, you know, my wife's- I don't have a Coke. <laughs> this is a Coke-free household. All right, forget it. Can I just have the coffee, please? Fine. Thank you so much, and the James. sugar. Or the pound of sugar. <laughs> While my good friend is grabbing me a coffee, I just wanted to say a quick- few little things if you have an idea for a podcast listen to the show and later on we're going to talk about an opportunity for you (laughs) at least not captured james i'd like to introduce you to my one of my oldest college friends okay um yeah yeah i thought she Mostly goes by Katie, I believe. I have never called her Katie. Only Catherine. You're the only person who calls me Catherine, except for those who are calling me for business purposes from insurance companies. Otherwise, everybody calls me Katie, except for you. I love you as Catherine. (laughs) And I love that you and Betsy call me Catherine. Well, Catherine, just so you know, if I had known you since college, I'd probably be the only other person, you know, calling you Catherine. I have a tendency to do that. Actually, if I have a friend named Becky, but I call her Rebecca and I asked her one time, does it bother you that I call you Rebecca? You know, her, her full name. And she says, no, I actually really like it. I like it when people say that. I said, but no one else calls you. Everyone else calls you Becca. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. You could ask or demand it. I want to tell you how I met Catherine. Oh, go ahead. My daughter, my daughter did the same thing. With Becca? Funny guy. Uh, with, uh, well, she was Frankie. Now she goes by Francesca. So the older people. I have that, always called her Francesca. Francesca has so much more weight to it. Yes. Yes. So I want to just quickly tell you how I met Catherine in college. So it's my first art history class and we get a test and I spent a lot of time studying and I've been to thousands. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Hundreds of art museums. And I thought I was just going to ace this test easy, but no. So there's this girl sitting next to me. And so I ask her, as I look at her A, <laughs> I go, how did you get that A? And she sa- says, well, well, it's about 
figuring out how to answer the questions. So I asked her, I said, can I go over, can we go have a study session? You kind of help me out. And she was so cool about it. She said, yes. And she basically said, you can say anything you want about the art if you're sure of it, but don't add anything extra because that is a negative. It's better to answer zero because that's a zero than to get something wrong and get a negative. Wow. That's weird. That's a weird way to correct things. Right. So um, we had the next test. We studied together. We looked at a lot of images that we thought were going to be on the test together. And guess what? I get an A, but Catherine only got a B. <laughs> so don't help. Don't help him anymore. It doesn't help you at all. He sucked at- he sucks my mojo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, baby. Wait, you know, what he does is he sucks your intellectual capacity. He does that to everyone. <laughs> it's that laugh. It's that, like it literally has some kind of gamma wave effect on your brain. Now, mind you, when I met Christopher, he looked like Jesus. His hair was down past his shoulders. He still had the beard and mustache, long, sandy, blonde, curly hair, um, you know. <laughs> He's in his Thor mode. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how anybody interacted with him back then. <laughs> it's my charisma. <laughs> like I said, I don't know how anyone interacted with you back then. Not that I knew you back then, but I'm, I can imagine. So Catherine came to visit us about a week, about maybe it's a few weeks ago now. And she was talking about her job. And I thought, wow, this is kind of stuff we suspect is going on, but we never really get a chance to hear about it. Don't, don't talk for we, cause you suspect a lot of things that are going on that I do not suspect in general. So Catherine, tell us what you do. So I am a insurance broker. I do medical insurance, um, primarily Medicare, but also, um, am a, I also help people with quote unquote Obamacare. Um, and then I also do some other other things on the side. Uh, I'm a notary and I'm also do final needs planning. Um, I started doing insurance when I moved to Washington um, in 2009. So I got appointed late 2009 and basically right within like two months of the Affordable Care Act being signed, I was starting a business in insurance. Okay, so quick caveat. I don't want our listeners to shut us off. This is not an insurance advertisement. We're not going to lead you down some sales gimmick. Okay. No, 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 no. No. I, I, this, I, I have not, you know, I'm not doing any, um, Medicare spiel. I'm, I'm basically, I like to tell people I didn't build the mousetrap. I just know how to get you through it. Tell us a little bit about that mousetrap. Well, I'm just before you answer that question. So I think was it called facilitator uh, back when the ACA um, or there were a bunch or was there was an official term for people? I think that you, uh, so you a facilitator or a navigator uh, is someone that can get you through the application um, and just kind of help you fill in the blanks to the application. They can't tell you how the application. They can't give you the answers or help you determine the answers they just can tell you okay they basically ask you the questions and know how to get through the application they can't give you any recommendations on plans they're not um, supposed to help you pick a plan they can just work on the application itself i am a broker so i can 
um, help you select a plan. I can give you plan information. Um, because the um, Washington State Exchange told me I couldn't give anybody any information on how to calculate their income because I didn't, I wasn't a, a tax accountant or a tax, a CPA or someone who did taxes. Well, for me, I went out and got certified to do taxes so that I could help people understand the application because cool, right? it's basically a 1040 tax return. And all of the applications, their primary goal is to determine if someone that qualifies for the lowest, you know, Medicaid, the lowest comment where it's free. And then if you don't qualify for free, it then takes you to the next level of, okay, now you're in the tax credited plan. But if you don't understand how to do a tax return and how your income works, it's going to affect the tax credit. So I got certified to do that. So I do taxes. I, so it's like I just build on and build on because I want to understand how the mousetrap works so I can get you through it. How much, how much effort did that take to become a tax accountant? Um, I have a friend who does a product um, that's geared towards active duty service members and um, a benefit that they do is their taxes for free. So um, I worked with them for a couple of years um, and got certified through them to do taxes. Um, and I've just maintained it. Um, I have a small amount of clients that I do their taxes each year. Um, and I was helping her in her tax office up until last year because now I have too many clients to. Um, you make it sound like no big deal, but I suspect it was more troublesome than that. It, yeah, I mean, there was there's a big test you have to take to get certified initially. Um, and then you, you know, you go and you um, say to the government that, you know, you're certified and you pay a fee and and then just maintaining every year all the different changes, like with the tax law changes in 2018 and, you know, how it affected the Affordable Care Act. And then I keep up on it because of it affects me and affects everybody around me. Well, Christopher and I are both certified, just not in any useful way. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be, oh, not certified. Well, yeah, you're certifiable. That's yeah. what you are. No, no, we are both certified. <laughs> this one hasn't certified us. <laughs> so, Catherine. <laughs> Sorry, Christopher. You're fine. Tell us a little bit about this mousetrap. You, so, you were at our house a few weeks ago, and you were telling me these stories, and I was just like... God, I thought it might be like that, but I was hoping I was wrong. I hoping I was very wrong. Um, so. Well, it's been a few years, right, since the Obama met, you know, that's been, what are we looking at, like six oh, years now? Oh, 10 years. Oh, 10 years. So, Obama, Obamacare was signed in early 2010. It took effect in um, 2014. So, late 2013 was the open enrollment. 2014 was the first year. Hmm. Um, and then you have a certain number of states, I don't know the exact number, that are part of the federal exchange. Um, and then you have certain states like Washington that are based off of a state exchange. So they decided not to go in with the federal and do their own thing in the state. Um, and so each state has kind of its own regulations on certain things. Um, and so Washington um, has a couple of things that the federal 
um, doesn't do. So they they were like, okay, we're going to do this plus some. So for instance, in Washington State, um, you can't continue or purchase your coverage if you have a child under the age of uh, 19 and you're purchasing coverage for them, you have to purchase the dental plans separately um, or it won't let you finish the process. Where on the federal exchange, you don't have to purchase that dental option. Um, and so once you have that policy in place for the dental, you could always drop it. So it's like you had to do this extra step and it just caused more paperwork for the dental because some people had family dental elsewhere, but you couldn't opt out. So it's, it's just, they make the, they make so much red tape and they make the system um, so hard to get through. And there's so many different moving parts that you really do need to have that person who knows everything to help walk you through it. Otherwise you're like, Oh, I didn't know about this. I try and give you that roadmap um, so that you understand all of the pitfalls. Um, for instance, I had a client who was receiving tax credits and at the end of the year, December, they pulled a larger sum of money out of their retirement to like pay off some bills. They were helping their daughter get married or something like that. And because they pulled out too much, all of that tax credit they were getting during the year, they had to repay. So it was like $12,000 that they had to repay at the end of the year. Um, so that's why I'm guessing what I'm assuming fixed income since they're at the retirement age. Yeah, they were on a fixed income. They were retired. Um, they were near 65, but they were still under 65. So they were in a tax credited plan. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden they have to repay $12,000 because they no longer qualified for the tax credit. Well, well that got fixed recently with um, the lovely $1.9 trillion, you know, recovery act that was signed in March. And so those tax credits have expanded and some of those things have changed. But if someone doesn't understand how that tax credits re is um, affecting their premium, um, they they will go about their day and oh i need to work more because i need to make more money and then all of a sudden it affects this premium um i've had people go you mean if i quit this second job i can get free health care or if I, I work less hours then i pay less and i get this other subsidy from the government um because there's not just the tax credits that are happening with that premium in the affordable care act there is a subsidy that comes from the state for the out-of-pocket cost so lower income you get a, you get a tax credit on your premium and you get a subsidy on your out-of-pocket cost so instead of having a two thousand dollar deductible you might have a five hundred dollar deductible and instead of having a thirty dollar copay to see a primary doctor it might be five dollars or nothing so your income very much affects what you're paying for that coverage under the Affordable Care Act. I hear what you're saying. This, it almost seems like you have to take notes. This is so confusing and such a mess. Um, a few years ago, I remember you couldn't even get certain types of insurance. So for example, in Arizona, um, we have these counties and there's certain 
uh, insurance companies that had bidded for certain counties. Everybody wanted Maricopa because in Maricopa we have Phoenix and all these other cities. So if you lived in Maricopa County and you went to go for the Obamacare, uh, you had lots of choices. And it was very important that you signed up for your insurance because if you didn't, you would get a fine or some kind of a. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. That was the. Uh, that was the individual the mandate. Mandate, right. Yeah. Okay. That was interesting. But I thought, what does that all mean? And then I started hearing from people I knew in other counties or like my neighbors who had kids in other counties. So I looked into it. The other counties had such a low population and the income level was so low. Not one insurance company would cover any other county other than Maricopa County. So when they went to go pick out insurance, they had a choice of none. (laughs) And they got fined for not having insurance. I think there was was always a federal option. Well, no. So So the Affordable Care Act mirrored Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage is sold by the county you live in. The Affordable Care Act said, okay, insurance companies can choose based off of the county that you live in. So yes, based off of the county, you had certain number of options. And yes, some some insurance companies said, there's too much risk, there's not enough people, we can't spread it around, so they're not gonna offer it. Yes, we have right, but that, thousands that's actually, of people, right, but that was a maybe failure millions of, of people in Arizona without insurance. That was a failure of Arizona. That was the state, that was a state failure because they, they chose not to um, have their own, um, whatchamacallit, marketplace to, to address that. Yeah, the Fed set us up for uh, failure. Well, the, so in some counties here in Washington, there was only one option. So, you know, there's no choice. You only have this one option. Um, yeah. It's like the cable companies used to be. Oh, yeah. You had cable from whatever company was in your area. Or that was it. It's worse than that. Even if you have two choices, both choices are bad. So (laughs) there's no good choice with. So here's where here's where I help people get through the mousetrap. So in that situation where someone did not have the option of having any coverage, which is a ridiculous situation for the United States of America to be in. And then you have this fine for not having coverage. Well, within the tax, like within the the opt outs, um, within the. Um, tax law, there was an option of, hey, I don't consider this affordable. And I had a client that I've used that for, and it has never come back on her to say, you know, we don't agree with you. Ah, loophole. Um, and oftentimes that penalty was like two, about two and a half months of premium that for that penalty. Um, and then in 2018, when the new tax laws were enacted, that penalty went away. So actually in Washington, there's been more choice since 2018 when that mandate was dropped than there had been in the, any of the previous years. So things are getting better. And I don't know. Um, Do you think that's because there was a competition brought into the marketplace? Um there was some competition and there was all of the push by the last administration to make changes to the Affordable Care Act um, that You're they, not talking about President Trump, are you? I am talking about President Trump. He I'm trying to say that President Trump made lives better um, <laughs> yes for the no, for the lower that. Yes, for the lower and middle class, I saw changes 
with the tax laws and with the insurance choices and with the drug pricing in the last, you know, basically the last two years of his administration, because it took him that long to get those changes enacted. Um, personally, I work, so I used to work for Princess Cruises. I worked from home, so I worked both as an insurance um, broker and for Princess Cruises. And I had a pie chart on my, um, like my take home, it was through ADP. And my take home after all of my deductions and everything was about 50%. After the tax law changes, my take home was 60%. So I took more home and at the end of the year, I still didn't pay what I was paying before because the tax brackets went from 15 to 12%. So I got more of my take home and I still got, you know, a decent tax return. Because aren't you part of the top 1% of the United States? Um, <laughs> no. Um, the top 1%, um, actually, if you, if you take 100 people between the ages of 18 and about 65, I don't know where the, the study is located. Um, it's something that people in the insurance um, business have used for years. But this study basically said that if you take people from 18 to 65, 25% of those people would not survive because of death and disease and war and everything else. The next 20% or 20 people will have incomes of about $1,000 a month when they um, hit 65. That's basically just Social Security. The next 50% will have incomes of about $2,000 a month. And only 4% or four people will have incomes over 36,000. So there's a lot of people in the top 4% and their incomes are just over 36,000. Um, that top 1%, those are your, you know, your millionaires and your people who are making over $400,000 a year because of investments and, and, you know, big business. That top 1%, that top 1% covers a lot. It's, it's, it's three or $400,000 to get in, but it tops out at, you know, a couple billion. Yeah. That's true. And it's, it's, it's really kind of weird to talk about the 1%. It's really more, yeah, you have the top 1%, but then you have the top 0.01%. Yeah. It's like two different, entirely different categories. And because $400,000 may seem like a lot, and it is, I would like that, so please pay me that. Uh, but in different places, you know, if you're in New York City, <laughs> where they tax you for not only uh, federal, state, but also city, and the prices are pretty high, you know, yeah, that's still good, but there's a lot less you're taking. Home. Exactly. I always I always think when you're looking at, like, I'm, maybe, I, maybe I'm not doing this right, but in my mind, often income relates to class with me. But I, but what I was trying to get at is that a lot of times I think because living in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco is completely different than living in Phoenix or Houston, right? Or even Las Vegas as far as income. So I always think a little bit, it's not always what you make, it's the lifestyle you live. So for example is if you live in a, a, a smaller house and you have like one TV, maybe a used, two used cars, your kids go to public school, but you're making 400,000 because you live in LA and that doesn't, that barely pays your mortgage. That's different than making $400,000 a year 
in Houston and you're living in a beautiful house. Now, let's not say to, Houston. Let's, let's say Phoenix because I actually have a point about the Texas thing, but go ahead. Okay. Let's say Phoenix. So let's say Phoenix. So 400,000, you can actually live in quite a beautiful house. You could take some very, very, very nice vacations anywhere in the United States, Europe, the Bahamas, wherever you want to. Um, and it's a completely different situation. So I always think uh, when you're looking at income, you really need to look at lifestyle. And so that always bugs me when it comes to the tax issue, because you're taxing um, a certain percentage to different people in different situations. It doesn't seem like it always makes sense to me. Well, that usually is reflected by the different, the disparity in incomes in different places. Like in New York City, the income is generally much higher to, to offset the additional taxes. So why you see ridiculous, you know, salaries there. Well, it's true. I think, and and and, correspo- and correspondingly, in Phoenix, we have lower generally generally have lower um, incomes, but our income goes much further. There is a point though at which, at you you make so much more than you need that uh, you know you 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 cover your basics, and then you have so much extra money left over as opposed to you know the the real poor who can't even cover their basics. Well. I think you're absolutely right. If, so, for example, or you I, could, or, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you could fine. just be really dumb and make as much money as you want and waste all of it. That's true. I've known people like that. And the thing is, I had a friend and Catherine. We're talking. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, they had moved from Los Angeles to New York, and it was to increase their salary and their lifestyle. Like a lot of people, make a big move. So he, I think he was making almost a hundred thousand dollars more. By the time he purchased his house, got his mortgage and had to pay for the drive or train to work every day, his lifestyle went way down. He he used to go to vacation uh, every other year, went to none. He could no longer fix his house up and pay like when things break. He was actually finding himself in a hole and it was only getting deeper and he was making so much more that he eventually moved from New York and moved to another city and found himself in a much better situation. Well, cost of living, you know, and also I, I think it's easier to start in a, in a high cost. Like I, I grew up in New York, so I was just really accustomed to high cost things, you know, high cost lifestyle. Well, I shouldn't say lifestyle, <laughs> just a high cost of living. Uh, and then moving somewhere where it has a lower cost is a lot easier transition then living somewhere low cost and then moving somewhere high cost because you're not going to be prepared for the, the, the shock of the high cost. But uh, there are two things I want to bring up that I, before I forget them. One, this, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't stand behind this fully because I, uh, I only saw it in passing on a social media site, but the numbers seem to have come from an accurate place. It was really interesting over a 30 year period. It's more affordable to buy a million dollar house in California than a half million dollar house in Texas because of the taxes. The taxes on Texas are skyrocketing because they they get most of their their taxes through property tax. So it's a bit of a caveat in that, you know, when Texas you have lower income tax, but you have much higher property tax. Where in California, I think the reverse might be true. That you have a lot more income tax. Well, but it was it was an interesting it was interesting breakdown on the, the, the housing costs. There are Catherine. there are a lot of uh, Washingtonians who are now um, living in Arizona. So, um, and mostly because of uh, taxes and 
um, some due to politics, but um, I know I have a handful of clients that have moved from Washington to Arizona. So um, it goes a little bit further. They have actually done it because of taxes, you say. Well, so my, so my property taxes, um, long story, but um, I live with my ex-husband. It's a big house. It's 3,300 square feet. And um, we just bought the house, but um, the house that we moved into um, in 2018 was valued at about 500 and right, 535, 40. Um, long story of how we got into it. But last year we decided to buy it. We were only renting it at the time. Because of COVID, we bought it and the value had increased slower. It was about 20% each year up until COVID and then it jumped significantly. So the house um, is now valued or we bought it at 625,000. Zillow is now saying 820,000. So 200,000 in seven months. I don't think so. Um, The property taxes on it. Oh, but I do think so. I do think so. Property taxes are just under 6,000. So, you know, that's for $500 a month, that's someone's, you know, mortgage in another state. So the property taxes in Washington are high because we don't have any state income tax. Our sales tax is high because we don't have any, um, you know, state income tax. Now they're trying to enact state income tax and they probably won't reduce the, the sales tax or the property tax, but they're trying to get, you know, a state tax enacted now. They have, we have a gas tax, we have taxes on everything else. Yeah. Um, Once they take it, they, they rarely give it back. Exactly. Rarely. Um, crazy thing about income tax. I pretty much don't have a problem with most of that. Um, I don't have a problem with sales tax. The problem for me is huge. And this is it. You can't or shouldn't tax people on things that make you survive as a human being. You can't tax food. You shouldn't tax water and you shouldn't tax where somebody lives. You have to have three things to survive on this planet. Water, food, and shelter. Other countries don't tax. When you buy a house, you pay tax. When you move from that house, you pay tax. But to live there, you don't pay tax. Mm-hmm. It's it's evil. <laughs> I believe it's an evil, evil thing to tax those three items. So how do you pay for, because renters don't have to pay the property tax. The homeowner, the property owner has to pay the property tax. Um, How do you pay for, you know, the general road use? Um, Well, that's the gas tax. Um, How do you pay for maintaining the sewer systems? Does that come from like the water company? Like because other you countries that. do. Like I just said, through income and sales tax on products. And I understand that would raise be raised because there's no longer um, tax on properties. And also you got to remember renting is a business and that's taxable right. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But every human being should not be taxed 
where they live and rest their head every night. There may be a couple exceptions if the house is like a billion dollar house, but even that. Yeah, you can certainly make carve outs. Uh, And it's it's an interesting point. It actually mirrors something that uh, the flat tax proposal has in it uh, or or the idea of removing uh, income tax entirely and just uh, shifting it entirely to a, a national sales tax, which is in some ways really good, but it's also regressive because it puts more of the burden on the poorest of the people because they're actually paying more taxes then. But one of the carve outs they make is uh, for basic necessities, like a basic pair of jeans, like under $20 would not be taxed. Food and other basic necessities would also not be taxed. So it kind of, it kind of slides in there with that, with that idea. It's what it sounds like to me anyway. And the clothing I get, uh, that's like that gray area. Um, I think I made this example once before there's companies out there that make money on whether you live or die in a hospital and yeah, they're called hospitals. <laughs> yes. But I'm, my point is there's a reason that we have to pay for these services because someone has to show, I know I get all that, but there's a couple things I just don't think you should be charging for. And like I said, clothing, like I said, is that gray area because oh, no, well, this, well, here, here's my, my point to that was that it's not all clothing isn't taxed. It's just their, you know, quote, basic necessity type clothing would not be taxed. So are these cold, clothing in China though? Oh, right, 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 well, right. Again, this was just part of the proposal <laughs> and there was no stipulation as to where it was made as far as I know. It's just a question of, you know, uh, having a point at which under which you could or making it uh, making available certain commodities to people that would not have this value added tax on it. it basically, it's a value added tax. It wouldn't have this national uh, sales tax uh, included on it. So it wouldn't be an undue burden on the poor or anybody smart enough to buy just the cheap clothes. Right, right. Now. That would be funny if they made like government clothing and then it'd be like the pictures that we always see, like in like old communist, you know, countries where everybody's dressed exactly the yeah. same. Everybody's wearing well, jumpers. See, this is, this is the beauty of the free market. You can just have stipulations as to what, how you hit that mark to, to be tax free. And then the market can, can figure out yeah. the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So Catherine, Going back to healthcare. Oh yeah, can I? I'm sorry. I did. My other point was about healthcare because the way beginning. I don't. If, I don't know if you even remember the beginning of this conversation. But you were talking about the problem of the, the dental insurance, which sound absolutely crazy to me that you could get hung up um, on this, especially because in my mind, I don't know why we're treating a part of the body like it's not part of the rest of the system. I, it should be. I, yes, I, I I always tell my clients. Um, I I say that Medicare is reactive and like so when you have a medicare advantage plan this is what you see on all the commercials um it's because medicare is paying or the government is paying the insurance company a fee each month to administer the benefit so whether you're using the benefits or not if you're signed up for a medicare advantage plan um, the government is paying anywhere from like six to twelve hundred dollars a month so they say okay we can add all these other benefits but original medicare does not cover vision dental or hearing doesn't cover long-term care um and vision dental and hearing are like the basics for overall good health if you can't see you don't see something falling on you or you trip you if you can't hear someone say hey look out and if you don't have good oral health that's just the window to the body um and they don't cover any of that well 
I should say, they don't cover it yet because, again, all of this big trillion dollar spending in one of those packages is saying they're going to add this to it. But then we have to take all the other garbage with it. Um, but it, Medicare is very reactive. It doesn't cover those things. And, I, and I, it irritates me because those are, if you covered the basics, vision, dental, hearing, um, you know, yes, the 10 essentials with the mammograms and the, you know, cancer screenings and all of that, but they lack the basic fundamentals and they, they lack um, even a, a basic bar of like, okay, $100 towards frames, because you can go to, you know, several places, Costco, Walmart, America's Best, um, and get a pair of frames for a hundred bucks. Um, so yes, Medicare is very reactive and the Affordable Care Act is not as reactive, but they are very limiting. Okay, Catherine, hold on one second. I'm just going to get a little coffee because mine is cold and this speech is awesome. But when I get back, I want to tell you a little bit about a teacher story of mine. Life getting you down. Is your head always drooping towards the floor? And then seeing your horrible floor just makes you feel that much worse. What to do? Don't change you. That's too much work. Change your floor instead. Courageous flooring is happy, sunny, exciting, rejuvenating flooring. They make flooring fun again. Woohoo. Courageous flooring. For one you just can't bear to look at your old, horrible floor anymore. You'll be so happy you won't ever look at your floor again. Whoopee. That's GoRageousFlooring.com. GoRageousFlooring. G-O-R-A-G-E-O-U-S.com. Hi, this is Christopher, as you might have guessed. I want to let you know if you have a fabulous idea for a podcast, but never knew how to really get going on it, you should contact Margaret's in Motion. How it works is you show up to their studio. The mics are set up. There's computers that do the recording for you. When the podcast is done, they have an editor for you. And the great thing is once you get it to sound the way you like it, they do the broadcasting for you. They make sure that it is found on all the major podcast outlets. And on top of that, they create a website just for your podcast. It's an easy and fun thing to do. And it's all right here in Phoenix, Arizona. So if it's something that you think you can do and you'd like to do and you have a fabulous idea, contact Markers in Motion. That's info at MarkersInMotion.com. Hey, you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember... In another lifetime, when I was a school teacher, we had a special meeting after school, which was mandatory. And what we, we what we had to do was listen to a healthcare person um, explain how they were able to keep our healthcare down for next year, but there will be a, a small increase. And I remember thinking, didn't he just say keep it the same for next year? You know, they, I love when they talk about that stuff. Oh, you know, we're 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 really we worked really hard to keep the cost down. It's only going up four percent this year, as opposed right. to four point three percent like last year. But this was the next part of his 
talk to us. And that was in order for us to keep it at this low rate for next year and the year after, we're going to need you not to use our service. In other words, if you are sick, you need to go to like a CVS or a Walgreens. Pay, or, pay, out, of, pay out of your own pocket and don't actually use the coverage. That you don't think, use our that you coverage um, because if you use our coverage, we're going to have to make the price go up. So they basically told us we're going to charge you. We're going to increase the charge and we'd like you not to use the service. What a bargain. And, and we're supposed to eat that. What a bargain. <laughs> and I, I wish we had him on our negotiating team. <laughs> oh, but the teachers just shook their head. Yes. And I'm, here's the worst part. I needed. Um, so I did, I've always gone once a year for a health check. You have to be with BSA. And so. I would do my annual health check and I did and have ever since now been going to the local drugstore for my local health check because first of all, um, the co-payment is less, it's faster and I don't have to wait a year. <laughs> I, I, I remember this old communist joke and here's how it went. This guy goes in to get an appointment to see the doctor and the doctor says, we can see you in 10 years. And he goes, really, 10 years? Absolutely. It's the best we can do, 10 years. So he sits and thinks for a while. He says, I'll make the appointment. Is it morning or is it evening or afternoon? And the other guy goes, what's it matter? It's 10 years from now. He says, because I have a dental appointment in the morning. That's how I feel it is. Um, the biggest, I'm sorry, go ahead. There, there are some countries that are still like that. Um, when I was working Canada. for Princess Cruise. The USA? Um, actually, Australia. Yeah, it is. Um, I have a friend who worked on the Australia team for Princess. And she would talk to Australians who were, you know, needing to cancel their cruise. And she she would hear things like, oh, yeah, I have my appointment. I got my number. It came up. And the appointment sometime in the next six months. And I can't miss this appointment because I've been meeting for a year, a year and a half. Um, or she would get calls about... Um, People who, you know, they're like, I'm going to take this trip because I was diagnosed with cancer. And because I'm over the age of 65, I don't get treatment. So this is my last hurrah. And Australians, they open up the crew, like when they open up the, the cruises, those cruises book out so fast because people are there. It's their last cruise. They're dying. They like to cruise. But yeah, she would hear I, I stories. of watching this, James. She's basically said. If you're over the age of, would you say 65 and yeah. you're sick, you're dead because you're not as important as the young people. Well, that's great, but uh, this is anecdotal evidence and it's yes. the, the, the statistics are pretty clear that we pay the most, but we have some of the worst outcomes in the industrialized nations. The United States? Yes. She's talking about Australia. That's I what I feel. That's an industrial That will be as so soon. But, but they're ahead of us on the general statistics. They are healthier and uh, have better health care outcomes than we do. It, it doesn't matter if the area is healthier because... Because of the health care system works? Because all the unhealthy people died. <laughs> right. Okay. Whatever. Um So... The, the point... Here's some, some problems. I mean, they're... My wife has been chronically ill for 15 years, so don't try to sell me on the American healthcare system. But uh, I do think, obviously, the 
the big problem with our healthcare system is the costs. And I think there are a lot of, uh, things, reasons feeding into those costs, but, uh, I think their bigger question is how would we fix it? So since we have an expert who's been dealing with health insurance and healthcare costs, uh, I would be curious if, to hear if you have any suggestions to improve the healthcare as all, and at the same time reducing the costs. Yes. Um, so on, I'm going to go back to Trump for a second. The price transparency, um, I think, is backfiring a little bit um, in that not it's not a true, accurate um, cost because it, it, it's a it's a complicated system um, that I think if we dial it back to um like the 60s and 70s, um, I have I have over like 500 clients that I have um, that I deal with, and I have an old country doctor, and he likens the cost to the suing of you know malpractice insurance. So you know 60s and 70s, you had that that person that went into the hospital, they felt wronged, and they sued the doctor for twice as much of what our malpractice insurance was. So, you know, malpractice insurance went up, which then caused healthcare insurance to go up or healthcare costs to go up. So it, you know, it comes down to some personal responsibility. And well, yes, I've seen, I've seen statistics that show that the malpractice isn't much uh, of an impact on the healthcare costs, but I would want to. I would want to um, redo that system just to take the burden off the doctors because it places a ridiculous amount of burden on the doctors, which is generally unfair. Yes. Um, so since so personal responsibility and um, also, I, you know, I hate to say cancel culture and political correctness. Um, no, that's okay on this podcast. You can talk, um, talk about that all yeah, day yeah. long. So yeah, that, 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 we that, want to hear the rawness of it all. Tell us so, what you think. How can we fix this? And you, you have 500 points of anecdotal evidence, which almost becomes statistically relevant. <laughs> yes, so, I'm mocking myself now. So, please so I have, so I had a gynecologist um, that when I moved to Washington, I started seeing him and shortly, this was like 2012, 2013, I got a letter from him basically saying that he was retiring because he basically he couldn't practice without getting someone offended. He he wanted to he wanted to say to a woman, you know, can I can I'm about to deliver your baby. Can I can I can I pray for that? Can I pray for us? You know, and he added a little bit of religion into his practice of let's is you know help everything goes well and she either filed a complaint or got offended and it was like he he couldn't say things to anybody without having them take offense so he was old enough and he decided to retire and i've seen that happen with other doctors that they feel so limited by regulations and you know not wanting to be sued um my mom the doctor who there was the doctor she saw just before she was diagnosed with cancer who completely missed it but 
he actually wouldn't have been able to do anything for her had he caught it because it was so far progressed by the time it got by the time it was diagnosed but i blamed him for a while i'm like had he simply done you know this one thing um but because she was seeing him for the first time he was very much by the book he's like i can only do this because i only have the 20 minutes or i only have you know 40 minutes because it's a new patient appointment but i can't do all this other stuff because regulations it can't be paid for um you know i can only do a new new patient evaluation and not something else in it i'll have to schedule a follow-up um and going back to christopher and your wellness and your annual physical so medicare and the affordable care act redefines what annual means you have your annual wellness and you have your annual physical an annual physical is I'm going to physically touch you. I'm going to physically take your blood pressure. I'm going to physically take your blood and do an evaluation on your blood levels and any medication checks. But an annual wellness is we're going to fill out a piece of paper and we're going to sit here and talk about things. Well, looks like you gained some weight. What's going on? Looks like you've lost some weight. What's going on? And well, you still don't have cancer, so we're not going to charge you. But if you have that colonoscopy and you have a polyp, well, then that starts to be charged. And so the wellness is a lot of reactionary things and not proactive things it's we hope you don't have this so we're not going to charge you but if you have this well then you start getting all these charges um but in a when people go into the wellness they feel cheated because they're not being physically looked at they're just reviewing what's on a piece of paper that's a fundamental problem of modern medicine though the doctors aren't doing physicals just as a, as a, as a matter of course my mother uh, has had a lot of problems with her knees over the past six months and uh she was she finally got uh referred to a neurologist which was the wrong doctor but it happened to be in the same group as the orthopedist that she had seen the first time for her knee problems and uh, the neurologist, after about five minutes of talking, my mom realized it had nothing to do with neurology. So he called in the orthopedist who had seen her already. And the orthopedist came in and said, and, he, and the, the neurologist asked the orthopedist, was her knee this week when you saw her? And so the orthopedist did all these physical exam on her. Says, oh, no, this is much weaker than it was when I saw her. And then when the orthopedist left the room, my mother told the, the neurologist, he never did those physical exams that, when I saw him the first time. So I don't know what he's talking about, how I'm weaker, because he wouldn't have known. They're just not doing the physical exam. This is one of the primary problems with modern medicine. Well, another thing is, and Catherine, tell me what your thoughts are on this. So I go to a tax guy. I've been going to him for years, and he used to know all the laws. And Does he, he give you a physical? Sometimes. Good. Um, only from behind. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's the government. I think I'm getting confused. <laughs> Anyways, so I go to the tax guy, and he would do all my taxes, and we'd talk for about a little, I don't know, 20 minutes. And at the end, he'd say, you're getting this back or you're paying this. And then over the years, he went into a program where he just puts in the information. It tells him what to say to me. And he literally regurgitates what is in the software that he's purchased, this accounting software. This is how I feel when you go to a doctor. He puts in your information. The software gives you what they think the best prescription or what your ailment might be, the doctor regurgitates that to you and you're supposed to base all your information on this one thing. And in the old days, if you disagreed with your doctor, you got a second opinion. 
But the problem is, if you go to a second doctor, they're going to put that same information in the same software and get the same result. Well, so I might as well go to my tax man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a bit of an overstatement. My wife has gotten second and third opinions on several occasions, and they don't always match. Mm-hmm. In fact, they usually don't. It's, it's, we've lost some of the critical thinking. Some doctors these days are, you know, afraid to go outside that box because they work within a big hospital system and that's how they're getting paid. That software, right? They're safe. They won't get sued because that software has guaranteed that's the latest information. It's, It's the system. Whatever their system is. That way they can't be sued because then they can say, no, this is what it's, everybody's doing. And all you, they did was well, what they, everybody else is doing. They can still be sued, but it's just part of the system. It's, the, you know, the recommendations and to try to get as, through as many patients right, as possible. Right. But you still have, you still have good doctors out there. So except for, so I'm going to use my mom as an example. My mom, when she was diagnosed with cancer, um, it was after she had gone to that doctor who didn't do a simple chest x-ray when she said, I think I have walking pneumonia because she was in a new patient exam. Her previous doctor had left that, that medical group in our, in our town. And she actually moved to the next town over, but they wouldn't tell us. But when, when she was seeing that doctor, this was um, a year prior after she had knee replacement surgery, when she was in the hospital, they said, Oh, we think you have AFib. So when we went to her primary doctor as a follow-up from the knee surgery, we told him, okay, we think she has AFib, but I'm like, I, I pushed for a second, you know, look. So she kind of thought about it for a moment. Then she went to the doctor who oversaw the practice because she was an ARNP. And she came back and they did a EKG there in the office. So I was able to do a little bit of pushback and she was, she critically thinked, okay, I'm going to, I can do this. She went and consulted and she came back versus the other doctor who, um, you know, she said, I think I have walking pneumonia. He did a simple blood test. There was one level that came back and it was spiked, but he didn't do that second step of that simple check x-ray, which she would have been then diagnosed a week earlier. And though it wouldn't have helped her survive, it would have given her at least more, one more week of comfort from her symptoms that she was having. But it, it you know, that, um, that, kind of thinking, so, that kind of process and not following up on that second test, it could have saved someone else. So this is just a bad practice. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to also bring some COVID into this. So you're hearing of doctors who wanted to give, you know, certain protocols, but because of the pushback, if they did those certain protocols, you know, the hydroxychloroquine or other, you know, zinc pack, all of those, they were, they were, you know, if they did that, they were in jeopardy of losing their license because of the higher ups, you know, this is not part of the protocol. So it was like government was clamping down on that critical thinking that, you know, the let's not have everybody be the same. Let's treat individuals as individuals. And I think that if the healthcare system would allow more of that um, and not be trying to put everybody into one box we could become healthier and so like your 30 you know, solution might bring those costs down. If you will to that is let doctors 
and medical professionals address people as individuals rather than mass groups that possibly the government mandates. Is that, well, is yeah, that where this, you're coming this, from? I don't, I don't think what she was complaining yes. about. I mean, she said it was from the government, but I don't think the government was mandating uh, specific pr- protocols. That was generally in the systems. And it was more of more of a, uh, almost a social contagion, the reaction to some of the, uh, the, the, the try some of the procedures that were being tried. It was almost like once someone says this is bad and not working, uh, it was like I said, more of a social contagion. People just, you know, canceled it. And that's where you were talking about Catherine with the cancel, uh, culture, having that kind of a control over medic. Well, medical and they cancel. Well, you know, look, look at how much, um, you know, with, as far as social media goes, um, you had several doctors trying to speak out about their personal experiences with their patients. And, you know, you had big tech um, censoring them. And I, and I laugh daily now at what my phone does as far as like trying to push things in front of me or censoring what, not censoring what I've done, but um just i can see it all of the the manipulation um in in things that are popping up on my phone daily so when you have so you're saying they pop on your phone because of your profession like i get real estate stuff from time to time and and i know it's because what i'm doing lately and so you're in the medical profession so what you're saying is a lot of medical stuff is like popping up in your phone texting email spam all that stuff yes uh, that and just you know i'll have i had a conversation and i can't even remember what it was about i had a conversation with someone about some product and then Searched. all of a sudden something that i had never looked at before was suddenly popping up on my phone and this was this was probably late 2019 early 2020 um when i read an article that talked about how some of the data analytics was looking at like if you are and i and you're in close proximity to each other my phone knows that i'm near you and you have certain things on your phone so it then um it it says, oh, we're in close proximity. No, we probably talked real. about this. Yeah, and then yeah, it I'm jumped over to my phone. Just and I was with my grandmother last month. And next thing I know, on my phone, computer, and every electronic device I had, I was getting advertisements for, I don't know what they're called, the panic buttons that elderly wear around their necks, uh, emergency phones. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, they I, were I never, probably also measuring emergency response and realizing that you're about to die. <laughs> Could be that. Uh, my my children will be glad about that because of insurance. <laughs> I was also near you. Yeah, no, and, so and, and I, we probably read the same article. That it has been technically um, established that that the the, uh, the networks are doing that, and this is. Uh, so I know I'm on an Android phone. Christopher, you're on an iPhone. Apple. Catherine, uh, which phone do you have? Android or Apple? I'm I'm a I'm an Apple. Okay, so you guys are actually better off than I am because there are more controls and restraints in the Apple ecosystem. Not much because the you know let's let's come out and say it. Facebook is constantly trying to work around those and figure out ways to get the data regardless of whether Apple wants them to have it or not, or you want it to have it or not. Well, you're absolutely. So I was in California just four days ago, and I was literally getting advertisements to get the COVID vaccine and booster shots. Uh, from the school down the street. 
Oh yeah, Christopher, <laughs> you should get the booster before you get the shots. <laughs> I guess they're assuming I got the shot because I was in California. Um, but this, when I when I entered California space, um, because when I went to see Christopher, I did a road trip. I drove through Washington to Oregon to California into Arizona. When I entered California, something from California and some disclosure or something popped up on my phone. I was like, whoa, I know you're tracking me. And I like turned it off. I didn't take a screenshot or anything like that, but it was like, it knew when I was in California and it popped up this California disclosure thing. So I totally, yeah, California <laughs> just this <laughs> throw out your phone. You as a person that works, not necessarily in the medical, but around medical field, you're influenced by this. You have to be because you're constantly being bombarded by this information, whether it's true or not, you don't know, but you're constantly, so you have to actually be intellectually conscious Mm. that you're not being influenced by these outside forces. But to be honest with you, I've seen commercials and I think, I'm never going to buy that product. But after a while, I've been seeing that same spicy chip, whatever. I, I want to try it. <laughs> Eventually, an, I do. An, you're such an American. Well, the point of advertising, the bombardment, the old fashioned bombardment advertising wasn't to try to sell you a Ford on any given day. It was to try to get you on that day that you were actually looking for a car. Of course, now it's they know when you're looking for a car, so they don't have to bombard you with it as much. It's insane. Before, they know you want to look for a car yeah. before you know you want to look for but a car. But no, but what they... <laughs> But then what they do is once you have that car, they continue to advertise to you so that you feel safe about the car that you purchased. Because I get advertisements on things that I've already purchased, and it's that continual thing to reassure you that what you bought was the right thing. Well, that's interesting because that makes me think they can do the exact same thing with medical advice. So Mm -hmm. they can pitch you on when I mean pitch, sales pitch you something, you end up taking it or buying it. And the next thing you know, they're trying to make you feel good about it. And this brings me to something else I just thought of. For the last couple of days, I've been reading uh, the New York Times and they're trying to explain why people who are getting the virus had the virus shot and why it's happening. And trying to make you feel good that you got the shot, even though it didn't work. What? Yeah, the New York Times well, is an article on this. speaking, it's working. There's a lot of people in the New York area that are coming down with COVID yes. and they've had the shot yes. and they're writing there are a, lot, a of people, lot of letters to the Times. There are a lot of people in New York. True. I'm just saying that the New York Times decided to make these people feel good about their shot. Well, that's, you know, it's your fault for reading the New York Times. Anyway, back to healthcare. <laughs> One of the things, it wasn't the daily, one of my radical ideas for yeah. trying to fix healthcare is, is one that I think is doable because it's, it's, it's up to the individual doctor. And I think the, I would encourage individual, individual doctors to just completely divorce themselves from the health insurance industry completely open a, a, a practice where they just charge, charge you what they're going to charge you. They, they, they list their prices up front. They say, you know, uh, if you want to come in and have a physical, it's 150 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it needs to be. There, Go ahead. there are those clinics that are popping up. Um, they're called concierge doctors. They 
aren't really affiliated with the hospital, but they they kind of are. Um, monthly monthly memberships are anywhere from sixty to one hundred and fifty dollars a month. You can see your doctor as often as you want. They dispense. Um, typically, they have about one hundred and twenty five different medications as the standard. Um, they can do a simple X-ray. They can set a cast. Um, they can do diabetes management. Those type of facilities are are popping up, and that's part of the reason for some of the competition um, with the with the more recent healthcare costs stabilizing. Um, the first couple of years of you know the Affordable Care Act it, rates were increasing. Um, at a low 8% at a high, like almost 30% in those first several years. In the last two years, it's been like a two or 3% increase. And last year it actually stabilized or had a decrease of like one or 2%. So the competition, that free market, it can have an effect on some of the healthcare costs. That's the irony of the ACA it was, it was part of the design was to try to create with these marketplaces, try to create an actual market because there is really no market mm-hmm. in healthcare. You generally get it through your employer and there's no pushback when you get bad healthcare. So yeah, the, I mean, the Affordable Care Act tried to build this marketplace, um, but because of those tax credits in the first couple of years, um, so Moda in Oregon. Wait, wait, what's who, Moda? Moda is an Oregon company and they were, they, they were coverage for the teachers union in Oregon. They were the coverage for Nike. Um, they were primarily in Oregon and Alaska. They tried to move into Washington. Um, the second year the exchange was open, they were in the exchange. And I think they were in there for two years. After the first year, um, they basically, the government um, used a tax loophole to say, we're only going to pay like 12 cents on the dollar for those tax credits. And it basically almost bankrupt Moda because they only got 12 cents on the dollar for the tax credits that the government said they were going to pay them. And so they had to- Was was, was this Washington state or was this the federal? Yeah, that was curious that too. This was, so this was a a company in Oregon that um, was trying to expand into Washington. And government, was that federal or state? This was state, this was state, but the the tax credits were a federal thing that were going to be repaid by the federal government. So they used a, a um, loophole for, um, uh, and I'm trying to think of the, the term. Anyway, they used a tax loophole for risk and they basically said, okay, we're only gonna, use, like I said, pay 12 cents on the dollar for the tax credit. And so Moda nearly went bankrupt because of this, you know, being shortchanged by the federal government. United Healthcare, who is one of the largest health insurers in the country, when they came into Washington state, they said, we can survive two years. After 10 months, they said, we're pulling out after one year. And so in the beginning of the Affordable Care Act, because of all of the regulations and the taxes and the, and the, how much the government was saying, we're going to use this, you know, loophole, it was killing the competition. And at some points, in um, certain counties, you already talked about, you know, not having any competition and there was nothing um, in a lot of, in a lot of counties in Washington, there was like one or two plans. And one of the plans was um, group health, which is now Kaiser, which is an HMO. And 
they were the cheapest and you had to go into their, you know, their doctor system. And then there was a PPO option, which is the one that gives you a little bit more choice. But true PPOs don't even almost exist in the individual side anymore because they've made what's called an EPO. So the EPO is kind of a more limited network. So if you have plans that are in the exchange, you have less doctors that will take those exchange plans. And it's well, you know, one one really nasty uh, aspect of this, too, is that you can choose your plan and you're locked into it for. A year. Yes. Uh, and then and that, you know, that takes effect in January. But you have to make your decision, I think, is it December? Or um, uh, the open enrollment for the um, Affordable Care Act is November 1st to December 15th. Um, the federal governments and the state of Washington mirror themselves mostly. Sometimes the federal government um, will sh- short it and Washington state will go a little bit longer. So generally, people are making these decisions in December what their health insurance is going to be next year. And then in January, the healthcare that they've chosen, the healthcare insurance provider they've chosen, uh, gets notices from a bunch of doctors saying we're pull, we're pulling out of yep. your system. So now that you you pay, you made your choice based on what doctors in, in, a, in a given uh, health insurance coverage, and then the literally t- five days later, yeah, they're gone. Catherine, uh, this conversation is so interesting to James and I because even though we don't always talk about it on the air, him and I are nicking at each other about what to do about the medical world because it influences our life so much, especially since we're getting a little bit older, it's going to have a lot of repercussions in the next 10, 15 years. So we're thinking about it. Well, as a country too. Yes. And so we have to vote on this stuff. So we want to be informed. And I just want to thank you so much for talking with us. I'm hoping that you can come on our show again and, and talk a little bit more about some of these things that I want to hear solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause what I can also, so I didn't even cover like how hospitals work with their financial aid and kind of how the financial aid. With, yeah, I wanted to hear those stories. So how it all, you know, just more, more things to getting you through that mousetrap. Um, Catherine or Katie Corso. Okay. Thank you so much for chatting with us. And I just once again want to say you're awesome. I'm glad we've been able to keep contact over all these years. And is it possible for someone to contact you somehow? Um, You can. Um, Do you want my email, my phone number, my... What do we want? We're just giving you a chance to plug yourself. So go ahead. My uh, my cell number, which it's best to text me because I can then schedule a time to talk, is 360-519-7516. 360-519-7516. Texting is best and we can, you know, have a chat about what your situation is and how I can help. All right. Texting is best, huh? Do you have a website? I don't have a website. There's too many regulations that I'd have to go through to keep it up. Um, But my email address is um, KC, my initials, Katie Corso, underscore agent, like insurance agent, A-G-E-N-T, at yahoo.com. So KC underscore agent at yahoo.com. Yeah, you'll be able to find that information. We'll post it on our website once the episode's up. Okay. All right, Katie, thank you so much. You're welcome, James. Thank you, Christopher. On my way out the door. Thank you, Catherine. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye. Catherine. Bye-bye. Yeah, I remember her name. (laughs) Heat Stroke is brought to you by Markers in Motion. Audio engineer, Christopher Furman. If you'd like to contact Heat Stroke, go to heatstrokepodcast.com. Won't you come on?
sun is out so bright. Don't Won't you come on out? It's making light, light and bright for you. Sleepyhead. Don't you see me? Take a boo. Don't you feel me? It's morning dew. All I want yes. is a cup. Yes. A very large cup. Yes. In my hand. Yes. A large cup. Hot. One. Oh. Cup. It's not tea. And it must be dark, dark brown. Oh, it's made from pink up brown. Make it hot, make it hot, make it very, very hot. Coffee. in your house so long you don't even remember what the sun looked like but you ain't ready to leave those four walls but you're sure tired of looking at that dim floor it's ugly uh, and you want something a little more interesting well you should check out Rages when you want an outrageous floor we got all kinds of fun patterns like like flying monkeys and some of my favorite paisleys and bubblegum balls we got pizza floor pepperoni if you like it if you're still learning how to read we got alphabet floor and that ain't spilt soup we got covered wagons with horsies we got grapefruit and green grass fire trucks and fireflies we got chickens for your kitchen Heck, we got a floor to look like you're floating in outer space staring at a big old saturn and even possibly uranus keep your mind clean and come on down and go rages for some go outrageous flooring that's g-o-r-a-g-e-o-u-s dot com see you soon Do you want to add any of your sound effects, James? I have sound effects. <laughs> Don't you? Blurp. <laughs>